welcome to episode 5 of Here We Go Again. This week's episode, we are going to have a guest host and we will discuss multiple topics and in the end have a game show. The topics of this week's are the presidential election, which ended in the ramifications of that, the WhatsApp scandal on Bengvir, which removed some people from WhatsApp, the change government that was announced and will potentially form in the applications of that change government, and we'll continue on to our dumb economic decisions of the week and end our episode with a game show called Knesset Quotes. Tune in, stay tuned till the end. It will be really fun to, to listen to. Please, I remind you that you can contact us at hwga.pod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at hwga underscore pod. Thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoy the show. This is Here We Go Again. Okay, we would like to welcome our guest host for the week, Matanya Hero. Matanya works in the finance ministry, studies economics and international relations in Hebrew U. He worked as a senior campaign advisor for Caroline Glick in Bennett's party in the first round of these elections. Is very active in Israel advocacy groups. Matanya, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Great, we will begin with our first topic. Okay, our first topic of our politics segment is going to be the presidential elections. The presidential elections were, were held Wednesday in a hidden ballot, and Herzog won with an unprecedented level of support with an 87 to 27 vote with six abstentions. He will be taking office on June 9th. There's an interesting point about that. First of all, unprecedented support, the, the previous majority was 86. So the 87 is, is not, uh, you know, unheard of, but it is the, the biggest uh, level of support that any president has. No, but it was ever. larger than support that Paris got on his own when he right, ran when he was ran unopposed. That's true. But there, there's something that, that I think is, is nicely reflected, uh, reflective of Israeli society in these elections. And that's how you have uh, Yitzhak Herzog, who's an Ashkenazi, you know, uh, um, Ashkenazi leftist in a sense, from a, a, a the descendant of a, a very prominent family. His grandfather was the, was, uh, was the chief rabbi, I believe. His, and his father, father was, president. was the president. Right. So you have him on one side, okay? And he, he was the, the head of, of um, the Jewish agency now for, for a time period. He's very politically powerful, the head of the Labor Party himself. Uh, and on the other hand, you have Mir- Miriam Peretz, who comes from Morocco and is probably the most, or one of the most popular figures in Israeli society by the public. The public absolutely adores her. And it just shows the the split in in society where or or what's missing a little bit in in Israel's political system where it's very not reflective of the populace in a sense. Where we don't have represent your districtal um, uh, representation that if for example I, as a little citizen, wanted Miriam Peretz to be elected. I had no one to turn to. There was no pop. There was no way for the public to to push the fact that she was popular. So her greatest asset didn't help in the face of of um, Herzog's just powerful politics. I think it's just just something that generally happens in Israeli politics, and it was just showcased here very nicely. It's important to note that it's a hidden ballot. We do not know what the members of Knesset voted for which means that we can't even hold them to account in elections if they voted for something we don't like. I would also like to note that um, whilst he got it, it's important to note that they were both very cordial about it. And I think it's safe to say that it really wasn't even just about politics and just about whoever got more, that the members of Knesset got more for this vote. I think it was simply that he put more effort in. She started her campaign very late. He's been working on getting this position for over three years. He's been calling every member of Knesset all the time and pushing and Which pushing was overcomplicated here because every two days there were different Knesset members. So he was talking to people, they say, he was texting people that might potentially become Knesset members later on and he was already texting them happy birthday. So I think it's safe to say that whoever put in more effort won this time. Um, he will be president for the next seven years and he will be taking office on June 9th. If we go to another set of elections, he will be the one giving out the mandate. Next segment... Okay, on to our next segment. This segment um, is something we owe you from a few weeks ago. Um, a few weeks ago, WhatsApp decided to remove members of Lehava, which is a far-right-wing uh, movement, 
including the wife of a member of Knesset, Ben Gvir, from WhatsApp, completely deleting their accounts and all information on it. Um, they claim that they did not read the messages. This is simply because of the actions of these people in the public, and they do not think it's appropriate for them to be using their platform. I happen to think that this is a complete overreach and break of their conduct, and I think it's abysmal that they also did it without any ample warning. What's yeah, What do you think about that? The truth is, I hadn't heard about this scandal, so it also didn't get any sort of coverage, at least in the platforms that I follow, which tend to be pretty, uh, pretty extensive. Um, I, I also, I, I happen to agree with you, Benjamin, that um, WhatsApp it, it breaks their their code of conduct. Um, that they they shouldn't be reading people's messages. This was a couple years ago when they just you know they had that that you started getting those messages of this uh, conversation is encrypted or so on. That was essentially them taking a stance on the freedom of information and saying that they don't take responsibility for the things that are happening on their platform, which is a legitimate stance to have. But then you have to follow through, and you can't pick and choose now. Um, the same way we see with Twitter, for example, banning certain accounts and letting others, such as the uh, Ayatollahs in Iran, continue with their... Uh, right, although the critical difference is that Twitter is an open platform, which means I'm not defending Twitter for doing what they do. I think that's just as horrible, but, you know, at Twitter, you're, you're, you're sending to the public. Everyone's aware of what you're posting. So people are thinking, WhatsApp is, is completely private. It's a personal messaging system. And that's what I think. And I, and I think that the most important point here, actually, is what you opened with, Masenia, is that it wasn't a big public event is that it wasn't a big deal that's what I think is the scariest part is that they were able to do it they were able to discuss it I happen to have read an article about it it was on the news for one day and then it moved on like that was okay and I just you know imagine them blocking other members and it's just it's a terrifying idea right. my point with Twitter was just the fact that there isn't one set standard it seems like there are two standards one that's used for one side of the political map and one that's used for others but the inherent difference as we mentioned between Twitter is that Twitter everyone reads your messages as opposed to here no one should be able to read your private messages. Including WhatsApp. Yes, because they claim that it's end-to-end -end encryption. Now, also, it's, um, Ben Gvir is currently in a lawsuit against WhatsApp. But, as of course, usually with Israeli law, the law is incredibly vague in this area. And unclear if he's right or not, if he can be able to be holding them to their standards. Um, it's also important to note here that the outcome of this, they were not given any warning. And a lot of information in pictures or conversations... Let's see, with Ben Gvir's wife... Because it's private messaging groups. It's not like... Not even groups. It's private messaging to other people. Right, which is a great example. Ben Gvir's wife's sister, who passed away a few years ago, all of her message and her voice recording, her pictures, are completely deleted. Even WhatsApp doesn't have them anymore, since they simply just deleted them completely. I think this was a very bad idea, and sadly, we're not going to see any repercussions for it. Even if, in Israel, I think it's just an outcome of what happens in the States, but I think it's still very bad. Next topic. Okay, our next topic is going to be the change government. The change government finally announced that it will form this week, and we're just going to have a brief rundown of everything that happened this week. Man, was it a packed week before we get into discussing this. This week started with um, everyone expecting this change government to form soon, and the pressure was on. Bibi began offering very, very high deals to the members of the rights that were in this supposed government, the parties of Yamina and um, and Tikva Hadasha. He was offering them a three-way rotation with um, the head of Tikva Hadasha, Sal Begit, starting. Um, he kept on spinning everything that Bennett is the one that's stopping a right-wing government, that he just doesn't want to sit with Bibi, which is not true, but we'll get to that in a moment. He began putting intense, intense pressure on the people from Yamina um, Anayelet Shaked and others that will discuss them and the pressure put on them soon and whether or not they're going to break. There was ad against them in every paper, on every news channel. Uh, all of social media was attacking them, claiming that they betrayed their voters, that, they, that, they just, that, that they're going to a left-wing government and that they're going to be the ones that are going to give away land just like Ariel Sharon did. Um, and the talks continued under all of this pressure with the changed government. And there were a few issues that we'll note soon between them. For example, the Vada Leminui Shoftim, the committee that appoints Supreme Court justices, um, different ministerial positions such as Hakla'ut or, again, um, uh, justice. And there was intense pressure from also the rabbinical side on the members of Yamina to back down. 
um, from this calls from Rav Dukman to come and leave this uh, party and leave this coalition. They're currently um, on um, Wednesday, uh, on Wednesday, right before the timer was up. They made the call to the president after signing all of the parties, including making a deal with the Arabs and everyone. Saying, Which side note was very busy in a soccer game. Yes, that's true. He left the soccer game to get the call that um, they have succeeded in forming a government. Um, he said, great. And now the head of the Knesset has to call a vote as soon as possible. Somehow as soon as possible in Israel's in 10 days. Um, and they will call a vote to convene and um, form this government. Um, because that it's in so long, they are also attempting to replace him along the way. But again, we'll discuss that soon. Okay, let's break this down. That was a lot of information. Let's go topic topic and hear what we say. You know, first of all, if we go back to the start, maybe offering these these extremely uh, uh, high deals that were giving options for everyone, basically giving everyone what they wanted. You know, and this is not just wasn't you know mentioned before, not not just offering to Bennett and Saar, but even to Ra'am later on the Arab parties offering things that are obviously impossible. And, and the reason that, in my opinion, they was able to offer it is because it was impossible. Because it doesn't matter until the mandate isn't over and it transfers over. BB cannot form the government anyway. So there's no way for someone to come and say, great, sign this with me. Let's, open, let's do the government in five minutes and, and it counts it all. It's all just offers in the air that will all be thrown away the second the mandate goes. Right, so that's, that gets down to be the biggest issue BB's been running into now, and that's his trustworthiness which is non-existent because over over his entire career practically BB has broken promise after promise after promise after promise the most recent one or or the most high pro- high profile recent one is the his deal with uh, Benny Gantz the, during the last uh, coalition talks where Benny Gantz is supposed to become the next uh, pr- prime minister and even then nobody believed right, the, when they signed it we were all like even Gantz himself Gantz was like oh, maybe like, I hope right yeah, exactly yeah. so BB just has no trustworthiness, and so as you mentioned, this isn't like come sign and immediately we can do it. This is promises for next week, two weeks, and three Which weeks. Which the second it happens, the other option doesn't exist. That's the key exactly. point. Is that once you move over to the mandate, you lose your leverage. You can't the left. You know they cannot form this current right. change government, so it becomes right. unrealistic. And one other thing that I just want to point out to, to all of the listeners is that it's the, the the offers aren't limited just to those specific people who might have a who are members of Knesset it sometimes the offers include if you do x your husband or your wife or your your uncle or whatever will get position why not necessarily in the government there are many other bodies and organizations in this country that are pseudo owned full on bribery and it's also important to know it wasn't just your husband will get it was also if you do do this then your husband will get screwed, or someone else you know will get screwed. Right. There was bribery and, and full-on threats, threats and blackmail. But I actually think that there's going to be something interesting. Um, if this all does go through, then I think that, you know, and, and I try not to get into, like, the, the, the pro-baby, against baby, like, I just don't think it all involves around him. Like, I think that it should be involved around your political statements and your views and, and how you think you should push things forward. But I do think that it would be very interesting that his entire political career was based on a lot of things, he did a lot of great things, but on this issue with trustworthy and, and pushing down the people that are closest to him, and that's how he managed to stay in power for right. so long, and that will be the reason that he falls through. Right, it's so all I, about the trust, because the right-wing government really could have existed if people could trust him that it would happen. Right, so I read an interesting article comparing Bibi to, to Paris about this, and as we're all on the right, we not, I, can, I can assume your opinions on Paris aren't the best, but Paris also did like Bibi. People who who became too powerful, he made sure to cut them down, but he always made sure to leave them with a good taste. And we see that Netanyahu didn't do that, right? From Lieberman to uh, to Bennett to Shaked to all the, to Saar, you just see the, the political wasteland that Netanyahu leaves after him um, in all these relationships, and it's coming back to bite him. It's not just coming back to bite him. Like, if we go through almost every right or center-right party that formed in the past 20, 30 years, they formed because of him. They're all dropouts out of Likud. You had Kahlon, as we mentioned, Lieberman, um, Saar, uh, Bennett. Yeah. But, it's interesting that Bibi doesn't consider it when he, when he speaks his rhetoric. He won't consider Lieberman a right-winger because, as Jonathan said, it has nothing to do with 
with politics at the moment, it's all about the question, yes, BB, no, BB. And BB's tried to conflate that with right wing, left wing. If you're yes, BB, then you're right wing. If you're no, BB, then you're left wing. And that's why suddenly this whole government that's that's popping up is a left wing government, even though when you look at the at the members and the fact that Naftali Bennett is going to be the next prime minister and he's a staunch ideological right winger, it's a left wing government in BB's mind. He's also going to be the first prime minister in the history of this country that will be a religious person. He's going to be the first prime minister to be wearing a kippah while holding office. An unprecedented event. So that's a very good point. And now the question is, will this government actually form? Which is almost a crazy question because technically it already formed. They already called a president, they had 61 votes, and they said, we're forming a government. But in this current situation, it's unclear whether or not the government will actually be formed because it needs to be done in the Knesset. They need to sit the, all the members will sworn not, in. They, they need, need to be sworn, sworn in. in, right? And it's not the sixty-one members because you know the Arab parties can can abstain, but there needs to be a a majority sworn in uh, to the government, and that has not happened yet, which gives us a unique situation where they already told the president that they have the the sixty-one people to agree with this with this government, but there is still days to be sworn in until the minute that they are not sworn in, they still can fall apart, and the question is why, right? So this. All governments have have this gap when they form. When first they they tell the president they're ready to form, and then it takes a couple days before they they actually are sworn in. The Not really, because most governments. This is, I believe, one of the only governments in history where the government forming doesn't hold the Knesset. As in the 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 head of the Knesset who calls the vote could take up to 10 days. Right. So usually it doesn't take up to 10 days. It's usually Less immediate. than that because the chairperson of the Knesset comes from the faction of the person who received the mandate from the president to begin with. But here you have another difference in that, you know, usually by the time the government is formed, everyone's pretty solid. The, the point, uh, the, the, the desire of most parties in the Knesset is to be part of the government, right? And so by the time you reach this agreement, everyone is solid in. The problem is because this government is so controversial that you still have a couple very loose ends and that's first of all in the form that this government would would hinge on 61 so one person who's currently within the agreements changing their mind can bring the whole thing crashing down and you can believe um, that BB is putting all his pressure and it's a tremendous amount of pressure on certain key people so this would be um, some of the backbenchers in the in Benetzi Amina party near Orbach um, who is also from the National Religious Camp, and so uh, you mentioned Rav Drukman. Rav Drukman called him um, also to try and pressure him, and you have um, protests um, organized in front of their house, in, in front of their houses, beyond just the, the massive propaganda machine that Bibi's able to push, as far as pinning all the blame on Naftali Bennett for the right-wing government. Even though the numbers right. don't add up. And, just and I'm sure we can, we'll discuss that, about whose fault it actually was. But but it's 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 a very tedious uh, situation right now, which which can and and there is not it's almost likely that it will fall apart in the next couple of days. I don't think it'll fall apart because that even Neil Olbach, who's under a lot of pressure, and he said that he's he's not sure he signed because he's because he's like let's move this forward, but he's not sure that he's gonna vote for it. I think at the end of the day, if he truly believed against it. He's, he wouldn't inform it. He wouldn't vote against it. I believe because of who he is and because of his conscience and because of the support he gave Bennett in the beginning saying, I support this, he would quit before he would vote against it. I think if it comes to it, he's going to come and he's just going to quit. He so said, I can't had, do this. That's what he had said originally. Originally being like three days ago because the, the pace politics has been taking in this country over the last three days is, is breakneck and it's thrilling for all those of us who follow it. But um, originally that's what he was saying. That he wouldn't vote against, he would... He would quit the Knesset, which means that Shirley Pinto, the next person on Bennett's list, would come in, and she is an automatic vote. But that, in Bennett. other words, means supporting it. Which other means, right. But now, as the pressure is cranked Not up really. on him... It's, it's, it's an important distinction. It means he, he gets right. to switch his morality. Oh, it's a personal distinction. It's him saying, don't throw responsibility on me. I'm just going to, uh, you know, abstain and let it, let it happen without me. Come it's on. a way of... of, 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 uh, of Sidestepping, and they're no longer giving him that option. But as the pressure mounts on him from all these different groups, and remember, he's a right winger, so these are people who he considers friends and family and mentors, and these are the people who are applying pressure to him. Um, As that mounts, slowly, slowly, his 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 tone is changing a little bit. So I don't know if it will 
it will change completely because he does have a long-standing relationship with Naftali Bennett. When Naftali Bennett uh, opened the uh, Bayi for for um, primaries, Nir Orbach was very active there. Uh, he held a, an official position as well uh, within the party mechanisms. So they, they've had a working relationship for a long time. But this goes back, and, and you mentioned that I worked for Carolyn Glick uh, when, when she was running on one of Bennett's parties. In general, when a party leader is forming his party, he has to somehow balance two concepts. Number one, you want to bring people who are popular, who will bring you more voters. But you want to balance that with people who will be loyal to you. And we see that some of the choices Naftali Bennett made to lean more towards the popularity, like Alan Davidi, who, who is the uh, the head of the city council in Sderot, or on the city council of Sderot, he's the head of, the head of city council, um, and he brought him in more for popularity reasons, but then Davidi quit the Knesset because he wasn't happy with this. You so, know, it's very interesting. We actually discussed this, you and I, about over a year ago, not even before this election, less than before that, I remember we were discussing Bennett reforming his party and trying to find who he's going to add on, and we were throwing different names that you know we're going to go through, and you were and you were involved there, and you were and you were saying, you know what, it, exactly that balance where you're saying he's actually more important right now for him to get people that will be loyal, loyal to him to with it. his with whatever he decides that needs to happen than them being over popular. Right, right, and you see that even with his relationship with Ayala Chaked, which is probably one of the stronger political uh, alliances we have in in uh, Israel politics, where I'm sure they have disagreements, but the fact is there's there's enough trust there, and we mentioned the trust issue versus Netanyahu, but between Ben and Shekhead, there's enough trust that even though she was less for this this move to create this government, at the end of the day, Bennett went with her, and they, they as we'll discuss the Bennett's interview uh, um, last night with Amit Segal, she really over, turned over every uh, stone and in trying to form a right-wing government, and there was no option, and so at the end, she also went along with Naftali into this uh, this government. Which is a very good point, which also brings us back to the fact that all of Bibi's offers, and there will be even more ludicrous offers this week, are just a spin. Because Ayere Chakid would not have gone along with this government, I don't even think Bennett would either, even though it gets him the, the prime ministership, would not have gone along with this government if a right-wing government existed. And I think... I want to go back to explain a little, because I don't think we got to it enough, why it's not possible. Because in the end of the day, once this mandate is up, there's nothing to hold Bibi to account. Even if they had leverage, there's nothing stopping Bibi from just going to elections. Because he goes to elections, he's great. He stays prime minister. Well, as long as he he'll be able to pass the law against Gantz, because no one wants Gantz as prime minister. Um, he'll, he'll, he stays prime minister, and... He wipes Bennett and Saul off the map completely. Even, even if they pass, it's just rarely. I think there's nothing good for them for going to it. And it's again, as we discussed earlier, the loss of trust. That's why he tried to bring Smoothly saying, oh, Smoothly's going to hold him to account, which from previous, um, uh, from history, we know that's not true. I think well, I mean, Smoothly is trustworthy, but it doesn't he help doesn't, that he is. It he just doesn't he have, have the power, power to hold BB to account. No one does. I think we also have to remember and remind our viewers again that once the mandate is up, you need 61 people to vote for the government. They need to go in and be part of it, not like in the situation we are right now, where the Arab party can just abstain from going against the government and then it will be a minority government. Are they not doing that? Because whilst they're abstaining, they did sign the coalition form. I mean, they're... they're the agreement was obviously they have leverage because we need them to abstain and not be against to be able to to uh, uh, become you know to be able to form the government. So they ha they got the things that they uh, discussed, which were very interesting, and I think they were exactly the list of things that were coming and saying, "Let's do good for the Arab population, but let's not do things that we can't do because there's a right wing uh, uh, prime minister." And and I think it's things that almost most people really agree on in the first place that there are good things to do that should help the Arab populations. And, and that was pushed forward. It's very different than them being people that are part of the government. In general, it's an interesting question, historically, what, what has been, quote-unquote, uh, uh, legitimate to, to uh, accept help from the Arab parties and what isn't. For example, when, you, when the mandate comes to the president's... Ha to, when, when the president has to give the mandate to form a government to somebody, the, the fact that the Arab parties can... Lamlitz... Uh, um, um, uh, suggest uh, suggest um, a certain party was seen more as legitimate, but here suddenly when it comes to the government, it's more of a gray area, and and so these 
types of questions in general and having an Arab party closer to the plate this time um, is, is something that, that's changing. It's changing. I think it can be a very a, a force for good, which we'll discuss in a minute when we discuss the actual deals of this aspect, uh, the aspects of this deal. Um, but I think I, I think it's also just important for us to notice here that it wasn't Bennett, it wasn't Lapid, or even Meretz who made it okay for us to sit with the Arabs. Even though Bibi's trying to hide this as much as humanly possible. It was him. Bibi was the one who made this possible. He came, let's sit with Ram. Let's do this. Let's form a government with them. Well, he opened this door. And that's what's very hard for me with the inconsistency. Like, I really, and as you know, Bennett himself mentioned, I really understand the fear that people have from this government. I respect them. I understand that it's scary. It's changing where in the end, nothing happened for the last 12 years, but that means nothing happened. And you know what? As right-wingers, we, we, you almost, through, since the beginning of this country, experienced burns. We experienced getting hurt and being pushed away. And, and, and so from that's why, for our, right, right, and from our perspective, saying for the last 12 years, nothing bad happened, quote unquote, since, you know, uh, uh, Gush Katif. That's a positive thing, which is, which is sad, but that's the situation. So I understand that it's just very hard for me to get to know when, when, as you just mentioned, when people are being unfair and, and not logical when it comes to, to the debates that you're given. You know, when you're coming and saying when it comes to air parties, you supported it five minutes ago when someone else did it. Now, I don't mind. Some people said in the first place, elections, I don't want them to form even a right-wing government with the Arab parties, and then I accept your view. Well, that was Smotrich. He refused in any constellation. Which, you know what? Fair. Like, right. if I send Smotrich, I say, I respect your view is legitimate, and it's fine. But in but, that case, he should be the one who the blame is pinned on for a right-wing government not that, that, That's exactly what I'm saying. But at the end, it all comes down to the pressure that BB ploys, which is just so interesting to see where BB is... The most hated person by the media, and I accept that statement, but also somehow the most influential. Like you, you would think they would go against his views. No, what BB decides the view is going to be. That's what the that's what the news well, is cause, claiming. Because you have some pretty prominent. Uh, uh, I don't know if, if they're as prominent as the other ones, but some newscasters or channel like Channel Twenty that is very much in BB's pocket. And you also can't f- ignore the fact that BB has by far the most followers on his social media platforms, which in this day and age translates into influence. So the fact that BB has two million followers on his Facebook, and I think the next the next uh, um, person is is Bennett with half a million. You know he has four times as many. That that is pretty. Uh, that's a pretty big gap. I understand, but you just wake up in the morning and you see the news and you'd say, and they they're just calling it Mshed Smart. Like that's what the government's called. They just call it the left wing government. And I'm just like, that's just not I, true. No, no. So so I want to be careful with my words. It's either two options. It's either not true or it was true in the current government we have right now. Right. It's the same balance of power. It's the same people. It's the same agreements. So either we're in a left-wing government right now. Okay, fair. If that's what you're claiming, I expect that. Or it's not a left-wing government coming. The only difference between that government and this government, well, I mean, the current government and the government that would form, is the people. In the end of the day, um, which we'll also discuss when we discuss whether or not we think this, the, the, the prime ministership will really transfer in two years, they're, they're, they're honest people. Even if we you may hate their views, most of them are honest people. Well, so that brings us to, 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 I think, one of the elephants in the room. Because we keep referring to Bennett as an honest person. But then the people who are against his government will come and tell you, what do you mean he's honest? He promised during his campaign on, on, you know, on TV, he signed a document that said that he will never sit with Lapid in a government. And here, sitting with Lapid in the government, he is breaking a promise. So we're so sure that Bennett's this honest guy, but yet he's clearly broken promises. So how, how do we answer that? Okay, so I would say two things. First of all, if I could be a politician, the first law that I would pass is making it illegal to make promises in elections, okay? It doesn't <laughs> make sense because we don't even need to go to elections because if you just looked at the numbers and took the promises and put them in a... In You're a, talking a, about political promises, po- not policy promises. No, yes. no, policy promises are great, exactly, yeah. because a policy promise also, still by definition, is whether or not I'm successful in the amount of votes. But like when people come and say, you know, Bennett was supposed to be at 20 seats at one point, whatever it was, right? So at 20 seats, he says something, but then you guys didn't vote for him, and he got six votes, then things change. Now, I'm not defending his decision. You know, well, my view on the decision for a second, what I'm saying doesn't matter, is the idea is that I think it should be, it's ridiculous, because if you look, as I say, there's not 60, there's there's more than 61 people saying they won't sit with BB, but there's more than 61 people saying they won't with each other. So basically, don't even go to elections, because it doesn't matter, no matter how many seats people get, it's impossible to form a government. Now, I just want to end with, with the idea that 
you know, we come and we blame him for, for not keeping it. And the very interesting part is, I believe that there are more people blaming him for, for going by his word than the amount of people that voted for him. You know, it's almost ridiculous to sit there and I want to sit, you know, you want to go out there at his house right now where people are, uh, you know, are, are instead of getting protesting, they're not rioting, <laughs> to be clear. They are not rioting, okay? They are protesting there and I want to literally go to him and say, did you vote for him? Did you vote for him? Because no. You know, he was supposed to get to, he got six seats, which means that mo most of these people, now there are some people that genuinely voted or hurt, I'm not denying it, but there are so many people that are coming and saying, you betrayed your voters, you didn't even vote for him. So you don't have the right to come and say that. And and I think that when you form a government, you have to make those different bends and he admitted himself. And to answer your question, just to finish here, you were saying, does it make him trustworthy? And I'll tell you where it makes him trustworthy because he stood in front of a camera last night and said, you are right. I said something, and for this and this reason, I need to change what I said and go. He's not denying the lie, which until this moment, if you ask Bibi whether or not he planned to give Gantz the, the, the you know, to, to transfer, mandate, yeah. of course I did. Of course I did. It was his fault, and he made it fall. No, you know, at least admit that you weren't planning, or whatever it was. Bennett is admitting that he said something, and he's now changing his views and the reason that he needs to do that. And the reason he changed it is that because... Well, when, first of all, I want to mention that when we went on live TV and signed this form, this form was conditioned on the fact that BB would sign too. No one states this, no one mentions this, BB never signed. It was a dumb decision in the first place, but he never signed. But the reason he stated that he could was able to go, in theory, back on his word was because that, in the end of the day, when it comes to it, he made a few promises. And the main promise he said, and he, he went over this again and again and again during his thing, I will not go to fifth elections. The country cannot survive this. And when he weighed it down, he came to the decision. I have the right decision that sitting with Lapid was worth um, was worth it if we don't have to go to fifth elections and we can solve this issue long term. Well, I'm not defending the fact that he signed that document. Is now that's his problem. That was yeah, like, that was, that was, was wrong. I think that was his biggest uh, campaign mistake. He was trying to push the line the entire time of breaking this paradigm of yes, of not no breaking promises. And then he made this promise and he was sucked into the game and that was his biggest mistake and he's paying for it now. But I happen to agree with you, Benjamin, that his his core principle was we're not going to fifth elections as long as we can avoid it. And he's making good on that. Some people who voted for him obviously had felt differently and are now very upset with him. But I also agree with you, Jonathan, the majority of people who are, are now protesting or taken to social media to write angry uh, uh, posts about Bennett probably didn't even vote for him. And he himself uh, has said that, that it has to, that there's, there's a system and of some other parties, and this plays back to the pressure that we were discussing, that are now uh, systematically bringing people or, or fomenting this pressure against him. And it's not just, you know, his voters feeling absolutely betrayed because as one of his voters and, you know, one who's, who's pretty connected within a different networks of his votership, um, a lot of us are feeling very conflicted. And I think Bennett himself is very aware of that. He's hyper aware of this conflict. And this is one of the reasons he, he took to, to television yesterday to give this in-depth interview, one-on-one -on -one interview to explain his rationale. And to me, it was pretty convincing. I also think he was even very conflicted about this. I don't think he rushed to it. I right. think this was not his ideal. He truly wanted to avoid it, but he came to the decision and he stands by his decision. And I, th I happen to think it was a good decision, but he'll back it up. Now, even if we want to complain about it, and let's say this is something we truly hated, and, and, and he, we're saying he truly betrayed us, and the end of the day, it's our fault. We continuously let these governments form that don't deal with the issue, then no one represents anyone. You vote for them and they don't give a shit about you. And that's all that matters. And I think that in the end of the day, if we never deal with that, we have nothing. We can't come complain you betrayed your voters until the next elections because you're just keep voting for him because it doesn't matter. None of it matters as long as you don't deal with that. Now, right before we get to the actual deals made, just one more update on the current status of this government. If New Obach falls, the only other option would be um, to bring someone, unless you can bring someone from the right, which seems impossible, would bring a member or a few members of the other Arab party to abstain from the vote and then some and then make up the 61 the 61th seat. But um, members of Tikvachadasha party, Zeev Elkin stated very clearly he would not be a part of any government that had any support from them because of who they are and because of their stances. Um, now let's get down to the actual deals made. Um, 
There are part of these deals that are very, very good for the right. Some deals that are not as good for the right. Um, let's just go down for a few of the points that are good for the right. For example, um, one of the stipulations that Tikva Chadasha had was that the position of the Yoamash, which we'll hopefully do an episode about soon, when the next big dumb mistake he makes, um, would be split into three positions, therefore weakening his power and creating more of a balanced form of government. Um, which is something that the right has been talking about for, what, 15 years at this point? And we've had right-wing governments, and they have never done anything about it. I think it's important to know that even when Bennett said in his interview is, this, even this left-wing government will somehow be still 10 degrees more to the right than Bibi's government. Well, you just have to look at the breakdown of the cabinet ministers to, to understand that, where you'd have six on the right and five on the left. Um, Bennett's party is slated to have three cabinet ministers, half, that's half of the six of his party members that would be part of the government. Because Bennett, was, in the election, he got seven seats, but one, Amichai Shikli already decided that he's not going with this. So Bennett currently has six, uh, six members, and three of them will be part of the cabinet, um, while Yair Lapid, who has 17 seats, is only going to have one member. All right, so you have just that breakdown of power within the, the the security cabinet, which makes a lot of the very crucial decisions, already shows you in which direction this government uh, is is probably going to go. Well, that's because then, at the end of the day, with all the people claiming this is a right, this is a left wing government, the right wing parties, Bennett and Tikva Hadasha, hold this government. Just, they completely control everyone for the simple reason that. The left needs Bibi out. They want him out. Well, they only control him until the government's formed. I disagree. Because once the government's formed, as long as Bibi stays a strong voice in the opposition... Right. He's not going anywhere. The so left quickly. are so much more scared. This isn't... This, is it, this They're isn't finally the UK. in power. This isn't the UK where when a president uh, or a prime minister, my bad, uh, when a prime minister, I don't know, they, has some sort of scandal, then they by themselves uh, leave. That doesn't work here. Bibi's going to stay in the as the head of the opposition and try... Well, and how much time do you give that? Because I agree. I think that if the first half a year, maybe a year, this fall actually just strengthens Bibi because he shows that no one else could do it by him. But there's, years there old. is a time where it's saying... No, there's a time where it's not relevant to even the people within saying if it passes a year of this government strong holding and changing laws already... You clearly don't, don't have the power. I don't know. Bibi seems very, very strong within the Likud. Bibi's 71 years old. His father passed away at the ripe old age of 102. I don't think we're going to be done. We're, we have not heard the last of Bibi Netanyahu. Um, the question is what happens with, with his case in a year. Right. Also. That is that is the big the big question. Because if he wins his case and he can come back and say, you wanted me out because you thought I was corrupt. I hear I proved that I wasn't. You wanted me out because you said that a prime minister can't be, you know, have to spend part of his time dealing with these other things. and needs to be able to fully focus on his job. I'm no longer dealing with this. And and he might be, bring, be able to, to bring back that uh, level of support. So I think it all comes down to the, not, to the trust again. Because I actually, I was saying right. for a while when they were doing this whole, you know, the whole Kedvei Shum that he was, you know, well, I don't know how you say that in English. You know, uh, that, indictments. That, the indictments that he, they have against him. And they, that's the reason they won't say it. And I literally said from day one, three years ago, yeah, I was like, You're, no, I was saying, even on the left side, like, this is all just excuses that you guys want to get rid of him. It has nothing to do with the actual indictment that he's going through and whether or not he actually did the cigars or whatever it was. Like, it's not what's fun. And, and you know, you prove that even right now in this current government, we're all coming down to Saar, which once, once did not mention Bibi's indictment. It had nothing to do with it. He didn't say, Bibi, you can't... I'm not going to sit with you because you, you can't. He says because you're corrupt. Sorry. <clears throat> you're corrupt. You're not going to be able to form a government that's going to work. And that's what I think. So I think it doesn't really matter if he becomes, you know, gets uh, Zakai at the end. I don't think it really matters. I just, it's so phenomenal that the the certain people in this government hate Netanyahu, or not in the government, in the Knesset, hate Netanyahu so much that they're willing to make Naftali Bennett, who until five minutes ago was the far-right extremist party in the Knesset, they're willing to make him prime minister to oust Netanyahu. It's it's just, it's so... Yeah, but the question is how fast do they hate him and realize that he's, that he's worse to them than Netanyahu. Right. Well, so it's, it's actually, it's very interesting because, so for example, one of the things that, uh, that a lot of the right-wingers will, will, will claim against the Merits Party, for example, is that a couple months ago, when uh, the ICC came out with the fact that they're starting, um, they're starting to, to investigate uh, Israel. Then Meretz, uh, the head of Meretz, Nitzan Horvitz, came out and said and was in favor of that, right? And so now people are uh, some of the the the, uh, the um, people who are against Bennett's move are saying, how can you sit with with this person who who says that? But I think there's a good possibility that once once these left wing 
um, parties are part of the government, something they haven't been in decades, they will actually become a little less extreme. Because the nature of the opposition is to be extreme. You want to make the government look bad. You want to do as extreme things as you can. Um, but once you're part of the government and you're a minister, suddenly you have to be a little more, uh, um, a little more uh, held back, right? You want to be a little calmer. And uh, and the Nitzan Horowitz is supposed to be the um, the uh, health minister, I believe. Which is great because at the end of the day, he likes spending money. That's his thing. Great. At the end of the day, the health ministry is one place where even people on the right. We have socialized really medicine, we're okay. and we're happy with our socialized medicine. It's not system. really socialized medicine. It's but more socialized than whatever. So to put our, our socialists there is the the least of like whatever. Just yeah. to, to, like if you have to spend money somewhere, spend it there. As it is, it was very clear from the founding things of this government. The right and the left agreed on this, which is really really weird. No money being spent. We are spending a very small amount of money. Stop spending money. The, the deficit has gone out of proportion. Yeah, even Lieberman was like, my goal as a minister is not to spend any money. We're cutting the Labor it. Party stated this. Right. The Labor Party right. stated we have to deal with the deficit, no spending money. Which is which, which connects to what Matania was saying, that once you are once you're in charge, it means that you're responsible. Right. You know, when you're in that position, you have no responsibility. You throw it out in the air and say it, and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen now, you're responsible. You say it, you gotta hold for it. So yeah, I also think it's important to note here that in the end of the day, this isn't going to be a government of big change. They're not going to do much. Not that they're, the Likud ever did much. much on, on a grand political scale. I think civilly, certain things can move. For example, the um, the public transportation issue in this country. And Rav Michaeli, the head of the Labour Party, is slated to be the, the, the uh, minister of She doesn't even need to do much. In the end of the day, the plans are made. She just needs to approve Implement them. Implement them, right. But I'm saying things like that. That is pretty much across the board. Everyone wants better public transportation. It, the, the fact that our public transportation is, is so poor and, and the congestion on our streets is so great actually harms the Israeli GDP because people are working longer hours because they're taking longer to get to work and are less productive because in those hours that they're on their way to work, they're not, they're not producing anything. So things like that are areas where this next government can, uh, and, and, and I expect it will, make certain advancements. On greater, you know, levels, politically or, or you know, uh, ideologically, I agree. Well, in the end of the day, I also think that on that specific point, they do get to reap the the, the benefits of, of what the Likud and other parties planted. In the end of the day, there's been massive construction on the streets. There's been tunnels being dug everywhere. There's massive roads being built that are all slated to be done in a year. Yeah, but the roads... They've been working on it for five years. Th there, there are plenty of, um, of uh, statistics or things like that that the roads are not what solves the congestion problem. That's because true. when you have more roads, they people buy more cars to fill them up. Um, and, you know, it's it, and this is this has been the problem that if Israel Katz's policy, who was the transport minister for nine years, of just building more roads, you need instead you need to to improve public tra transportation. You need to have light rails in the met metropolitan areas. Jerusalem is the biggest city in Israel, almost almost a million uh, um, citizens, and there is one line of the railway, a single line, and it's constantly packed. So you, you need to expand the, the infrastructure here of the public transportation. Uh, but we're getting into, this is already the economic field, and we'll get to that later. Right? Uh, I, I think just one point I want to make is, and, and you know, I'm, I'm in myself thinking about this, and I'm not sure, but I think that part of being a coalition government, which is the way our, our parliament works, is that, you know, you, you, you take and you give, and that's okay. You know, and I think that, other around, what happened till now is if, you know, if it's not perfect you, and then nothing happens. And at this point, I'm saying... Part of the game is you have to choose, compromise. you know, compromise. And, you know, you know, Bennett and Saar and, and even Lieberman on certain topics will have to choose what's important to them and, and, and what they're going to give in on. And just as I expect, and this is where I'm being careful, but I really think it is just as I expect Merav Michaeli to come and say, you know what? This is not something I agree with, but it's really important to you guys to, if it's economically or if it's, you know, it's screen wise, to push it forward. And I expect her to say, I'm going to give in for that. There are certain things we're going to have to give, and I think that's okay. There are certain things I'm going to say I'm against. It doesn't, you know, obviously you have to understand if it, if it hurts everything we believe in, then I'm saying, what do you go to the government for? You have for? red lines. Right. But if it's not about this red line, even if, you know, when it comes to a different socialist thing, which obviously I think in the long term, maybe you'll fix it later on. But okay, maybe you give in on something to be able to get something else, but do something. Be productive in this government. So I think they're going to be very productive. And as we mentioned, the splitting of the Yamasha's position, which is incredibly important. It's also a great opportunity because at the end of the day, 
if this is done by a center-left government, I don't think the courts can come and say you can't do this. Because it's, 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 it's the parties that back you in the end of the day. If they do that, they're screwed. Now, we'll get in detail maybe next week when the actual coalition's de um, agreement is published. But I would like to get to Ram. Now, that's the Arab parties and a few of the things that were offered to them and that were agreed with them. Now, um, I'll go through a few of the things that were offered to them. And some of them were because of Netanyahu. Um, one of them, for example, is the, um, hel the helping the Arab, there'll be money helping the Arab um, population get into the workforce, get him out of their, um, I I get, help them study, help them get into the workforce, which I think in the end of the day, while well, it might sound a little socialist, and, I, and it's, it's a large amount of money, I think it, it's a good thing because if you get them into the workforce, if you get them happy, if they're making money, people don't riot and kill people. People are happy. They don't have reason to kill people. I think it's 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 a much better thing. They're also um, that the, the the right wing governments here made them in the end of the day they're gonna have to take the right the Arab parties gonna have to take responsibility for their people. They're they they wanted a few of the of the laws that are like against um, rogue building in the in the Negev uh, torn down, and and the coalition said to them you can't do this. Cause in the end of the day. You're now responsible for these people. You're finally in the coalition. You realize, as we mentioned earlier, you have to take responsibility. You've got to own up. And and these laws of, of, of taking down Chok Aminitz, the Chok is going to be um, staying as is, but even though the, the Arab parties were against it, because in the end they realized, we can't just, we're not, we can't demand that everything run rampant because we're the ones in charge now. Right, that ties back to the point. When you're in the opposition, you can just make demands and, and you have no responsibility regarding regarding them, right? You, you don't have to back them up with anything. But once you're part of the coalition, once you're part of the government, suddenly, as you said, you have to take responsibility. Okay, uh, that concludes our uh, politics segment. Um, again, we'll hopefully get to the coalition agreement and all of its details when we get back to it next week. Okay, so now we'll go into the dumb economic decisions of the week. Like this week, we'll discuss actually some positive things that happened, surprisingly. Um, yes, and because we want to be fair, we'll be discussing some one good decision that the Misad HaOtsam made this week, which is that the unemployment benefits are going to be finally ending after a year and at this point, that they've been running uh, constantly and causing the fact that the... Um, that the, the, the true uh, the employment were, was down because people didn't want to return to work. They're going to be ending gradually, starting with people 28 and under at the end of the month, and then each um, person that you're, as you get older or as you have more children or more dependents, um, you'll have more time. And another important decision that they make in that factor, if you apply for a job and you get a job, but then quit or get fired after a shorter period of time, you retain your unemployment benefits um, you'll go back to unemployment because they don't want people to be scared to go back to work because they might lose their unemployment and they have a crappy job. Right, finance ministry, you worked there. Was this your decision? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, we actually have made, over the last year, a lot of the um, high-profile people at the finance ministry quit. And I'm, I have a student job at the finance ministry, so now we think we're the... Uh, we're the well, you're slowly taking over. Yeah, yes. exactly. Because <laughs> it's all the people on top left, so that leaves us. Also, uh, Lieberman is set to be the finance minister. Um, he's supposed to come out with a detailed plan of his for the future, which doesn't sound so bad. Um, and we'll get to that, hopefully, uh, next week. Okay, now we'll move on to our final segment, a game show called Knesset Quotes. We will go through various quotes uh, from the past, and we will be given options of different Knesset members from different parties uh, which said it and Matanya and I will be competing to guess which minister or Knesset member was the one who made that quote. Okay, our first quote is going to be Le Medinat Israel Haita Vitiye Rak Birachat Yushalaimanitzrit. Before I give the options I'll just translate that quickly. For the state of Israel there was and always will be only one capital, the eternal Jerusalem. Our options are A Ben Gurion, B Betzalez Smutritz C. Benjamin Netanyahu or D. Golda Meir? What's your guesses? I kind of think at one point or another all of these politicians uh, said that this this is a pretty much a consensus issue within uh, within Israeli politics. So in one form or another, maybe... Golda Meir! The exact quote... I said yeah, it. Yeah, you're Golda Meir. Golda Meir. Um, I would go with Bibi Netanyahu. 
The answer is A. Ben Gurion. Oh, I thought oh. it was Ben Gurion, but I had to be creative. <laughs> this was Ben Gurion on sure. the. <laughs> this is Ben Gurion on the uh, vote on whether or not to um, uh, make Israel the cap, the Jerusalem the capital of in Israel the 50s, right? in the fifties, and move the Knesset to there. And he stated unequivocally that he will only support and only have his party vote. If it was in Jerusalem. Okay, zero, zero. Next question. <laughs> okay, our next question. This one's a funny one. I understand absolutely nothing in economics. Option A, Israel Katz, the current uh, finance minister. Option B, Benjamin Taniyahu, the prime minister, and also was a finance minister at one point. Option C, Yair Lapid, also a finance minister. And D, Moshe Kachlon. Also a finance minister. Well, I think Yair Lapid. Okay, not Bibi, because he everyone knows he knows a lot of in economics. And Who's, he would never be caught right, dead never saying something said, detrimental about himself. Right. Um, I, surprisingly, I'm not sure if it was Lapid, because I'm going to go the other extreme. It was known that he knows nothing about economics. So like, it's almost too obvious. Who was the first option? Israel Katz, the current no, finance he minister. He wouldn't say that either. It's either Kachlon or Lapid. What's your guess? I'll go the other way. I think it's Yair Lapid. And, uh, okay. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to go with Kachlon. You're probably right. Okay, the answer is Yair Lapid. Oh, well done. Yeah. This was in Yair country. Lapid's plan when he became economic was, was to bring in people. <laughs> no, it was a plan for the little people, not for economists. So it makes sense that he would have. So said this was like actually that. before he came into politics. This was an interview of his with Bibi the day he became finance minister, uh-huh. and he stated. What was that? Two thousand two, two thousand three. I don't know. And he stated that he knew nothing economics, and he was hoping Bibi could explain to him. Okay, <laughs> our final quote is. Arafat הוא אחד המנהיגים המרשימים שפגשתי, אני מעריך אותו ומחבב אותו מאוד. Arafat is one of the most impressive leaders that I've met. I appreciate and respect him a lot. Just a reminder of you who Arafat was? Uh, Yasser Arafat was... The arch-terrorist who headed the PLO. It's subjective. Oh, okay. my bad. <laughs> yes, okay. Options are Benjamin Netanyahu, the current Prime Minister of Israel. Buzi Herzog, the, cur- well, the elected President of Israel. President-elect. President C. Shimon Peres was the president of Israel and also prime minister. And D. Ariel Sharon, the prime minister who was responsible for Gush Katif. The obvious Paris. answer is Paris, but I actually think it's Benjamin Netanyahu. Which, which could definitely be because of his character of being placed. It's not Ariel Sharon because even with his, you know, the unfortunate ending to his political career, he's Ariel Sharon. He was very opinionated. I don't think he would say a statement like that. I'm going to throw it on Paris. I think it's Netanyahu. It is 2-0 to Netanyahu. It oh, was Benjamin God. Netanyahu in the White House when he met Arafat, and he stated that he is one of the most impressive people that he met. Right. This and is Benjamin Netanyahu who is now claiming that a left-wing government is forming. The same Benjamin Netanyahu who gave away Hebron, who uh, who voted for the expulsion of Jews from Gush Katif, and who said that wonderful statement. Yes, okay. And this concludes our game show, and Netanyahu is our obvious Woo-hoo. victor. And zero out of zero. Wow. No, zero out of three. On zero. That's that is. I can't even count. See, that's my level this week. Okay, that concludes episode five. Matanya, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I hope to be able to to do this again with you guys. It was a lot of fun. Definitely. So that was episode five. You can contact us for any questions at our Gmail, hwga.pod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at hwga underscore pod. Thank you very much for joining us. This is Here We Go Again.